Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 135. We are hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hi. Hello. Yes. We had a, a victorious Halloween celebration, all of us, which is awesome. But what yes. are your plans for Thanksgiving, guys? We'll start with Jen. What's up with you? What's going on? Uh, well, I am going to be here in San Jose for Thanksgiving uh, because I weighed like the pros and cons and just like, mm. uh, like I'm still have like a lot of projects that I'm going to need to be doing. Oh, uh, it sucks oh. when you have vacation, but you're still in school. So you can't really like have a real vacation not i remember every year when i was in college thanksgiving break (laughs) i would lug my books home i would be like yep and nope never there i am sunday night (laughs) doing everything i needed to do because i didn't do dookie while i was at home and ladies and gentlemen that has been the first mention of dookie in 2021 (laughs) since like the 1980s (laughs) (laughs) incredible oh that sucks but are you cooking and having friends over like a little friends giving yes actually so um um, ruth and like she's gonna have her daughters over and we're going to invite uh my friend victoria and i think um uh jay's family is gonna make the trip up here as well wow oh yeah so it's gonna be quite a a production yeah so um um there's going to be quite a quite a bit of people. And what are you cooking, Miss um, Chef? <laughs> so uh, actually, like Ruth has like a menu planned and everything. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, and so I, I was just like, that. oh, wow, you're organized about this. I'm like, I am not. <laughs> That's <laughs> but so cool, I'm going to try my hand at making chuchitos by myself. Oh, because uh, I've never done them on my own. Oh, okay. Like I've always be- I've always either helped my mother or I'm a. Or just like done like the wrapping, the finishing process and stuff like that. Um, I've never, ever done them on my own. So we'll see how it goes. How Can you remind me and maybe listeners who don't know what chuchitos are? So chuchitos are, um, they're Guatemalan food staple. uh, And they are kind of like Mexican tamales. But they um uh, instead of having like shredded uh chicken sauce it's usually like a whole piece of chicken uh with recado in the middle of the masa wrapped uh and tied key they are <laughs> usually tied at the at both ends um uh in the horn in the corn husks and they're really really good um, um and if you don't know Chuchitos basically translates to like little dog because that's what people say it looks like when it's <laughs> wrapped in the thing. It's like it looks like a little dog, so that's why they're called chuchitos. Oh, that's cute. When you say whole chicken, does that mean that it has bone in it as well? Well, some people do use bone, but me and my mother don't. We never okay. liked it, so um, uh, it gives the false impression that the chuchito is bigger than it actually is. So mm. we use like we like debone the chicken and then like. Um, uh, like par, like par, par cook it, um, uh, and then finish cooking it up when it's steaming in the, in the pot. That's and awesome. It's, but it's like it's like pieces, like chunks of chicken, not like shredded mm. chicken. 
Damn it, I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what about you, Kristen? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Well, for actual Thanksgiving, I don't know. Last year on Thanksgiving, I did the whole production. I think we got ham and turkey, like the smallest portions possible from um, Honey Baked. And then I did the mashed potatoes and stuffing and every, all the sides. And I remember I was in there. Oh, and then because for whatever reason, throughout the years, it became tradition for us to, for my family to have a macaroni salad during (laughs) Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, And so I did that. And I remember Eddie and I, like, I was in there for hours and Eddie and I ate for like 15 minutes. It was all over and it was such a mess in the kitchen. And after that, I was like, nope. And for Christmas, we ordered Italian food. So I think I might be back to wanting to do, because my favorite part is sides, mashed potatoes mm-hmm. and stuffing. Right. So we'll see. Uh, then we don't really plan much because Friday is Black Friday. So we are having a big sale at the shop. Um, it's going to be a three-day sale. Uh like $2 trades on Friday and the, the books, the regular trades are going to be buy one, get one half off. And then there's going to be um, different sales on Saturday and Sunday, but uh, we're going to go set everything up and uh, get all the employees uh, ready for the sale. And then we are driving to San Diego uh, because it is the special edition of San Diego Comic-Con that weekend. That is super freaking oh, wow. cool. And so yeah. you're not doing the turkey run in Torrance? Um, I haven't done that in years. Oh, we I thought to... you did it last year. Oh, I'm no, so sorry. I did it here. I did a virtual one here in my neighborhood. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but I have Eddie and I used to go every morning, 7 a.m. to do that run. I haven't done that one in years. And obviously last year it didn't, I don't think it didn't happen last year. I just did a virtual one here in town, but um I was thinking about that because I've seen it and uh, they're it's always raising money for some uh, organization, local organization. I can't remember what it is, but um, it's kind of nice. In-person racing is uh, back in 5Ks. It's only three miles. So we get started and be, be get started at seven and be back home in our PJs by eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. That is super cool. And what about you, Sarah? Well, you know, you were talking about the buy one, get half off trade paperback sale. And I was like, oh, shit, I need to go to Heidi Ho. And then I remembered <laughs> that I'm going to be in Alaska. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be there, you know. Uh, and then I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to be in Alaska. So, yeah, I'm, we're going to Alaska. We're flying out on Wednesday night and then we're coming back on Sunday. But we're going to take the Monday off just to kind of recuperate yeah recuperate i mean not really recuperate but just kind of settle into the weather too because i'm sure it's going to be like really super cold over there yeah what uh how long is the flight i think it's like four four hours or so like four five that's not bad something like that yeah i I haven't really looked into it don't don't quote me but it's really it's really really fast it's not like you know 12 hours or anything like that so yeah um so we're really excited about that i got all my snow gear i got all my gloves i i haven't pulled out my hats from uh, i wouldn't say starch but i have like them in a 
in kind of a bin in the in the shed. Mm-hmm. So, but I do have snow boots and all that stuff. So I'm really excited. I don't really, I, we haven't really planned anything except the only thing I want to do is like see the Northern lights. If that's all we do, I'm fine with that. Um, they do have like a beer trolley. Uh, oh, that's right. You were thing. mentioning that. That sounds fun. It does sound fun. And then they have a lot of parks around there, like where we're going to stay. So even if we don't do anything all day, we could walk around the park and stuff like yeah. that. Um. We do want to, I do want to do the whole like uh, dog sled thing, but yeah. so, and then there's a museum there too, though. I'd like to see like the folk art and stuff. There's yeah. like a lot of indigenous art and stuff and they have like, I mean, I just love nature. So it's going to be awesome, I think. Oh, cool. Um, so we're not going to have dinner. We're just going to be out and about doing stuff. Yeah. But um, I am having like a family's giving to actually later today because nobody else had availability later in the oh month. wow okay cool. i'm going to take a salad and my husband's going to take a tomahawk a tomahawk a steak uh, that he's going to put in the oven so that's going to be a little bit i think it's six six o'clock nice so we're very excited i'm very excited i'm gonna eat very little but i'm still excited <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's the holiday plans uh so far so um and then after that it'll be we'll talk about christmas but not before then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Now it's time for Chisme de la Semana. Kristen, you have some juicy chisme for us today. <sighs> tell us. Yes. Tell us. It's some. Um, I was very. Okay. So apparently this chisme has been around since uh, late summer, but I'm just barely hearing it. And it's very um, upsetting. Um, it has to do with the Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan TV series that is uh, slated to be released on Disney Plus streaming in 2022. And apparently the cheese that has been confirmed um, that is that um, they are changing Kamala's powers. Um, what? They, they are... Making okay, so if you are not familiar with Kamala Khan, she is um an inhuman in the Marvel um universe, and she when she gained her powers, um, they were basically shape shifting powers. Um, and she is able to, like, in fact, uh, one of her uh coined terms is embiggen, and like she'll she like stick her arm up and her hand will become like super, super huge. And she can like even make herself really big or really small. And um, that is all due to her uh, inhuman genes. But um, in a lot of the marketing um, stuff that has been out there, apparently we are seeing that she is wearing some kind of bracelets. Uh, and so the cheese is that um her bracelets are going to function in somewhat of the same fashion as um, a lantern ring where it can create this energy that makes these like (sighs) these projections projections. Yes. And so, Mm -hmm. and so, um, so what that means to me and what people are surmising is that they are changing her origin to not be an inhuman, which I don't really know um, why or where we're going with this. She is slated to also be in the movie, The Marvels, um, which I'm not sure when that comes out, but with uh, 
Monica Rambeau and Captain Marvel. And I'm not sure who else, but um, so I don't know where we're going with this, but it's really frustrating um, to me because that the whole first trade of Ms. Marvel is all about her gaining her powers and her learning how to wield them and her like really trying to balance being a awkward teenager and um, almost the story actually reminds me or vice versa of Kinsa. Like she um, has, she's a Pakistani Muslim. So she's also trying to balance um, her religion and her culture with all of this. And so it's, it's very annoying to me but I haven't seen the TV show. Oh, that was one of the things that people were guessing is that maybe it was just too expensive CGI wise mm-hmm. right. to do whatever it is that they wanted to do if they stayed true to her, um, if they stayed true to her origins. So I don't know. I hope I had, like I said, I haven't seen the TV show, so who knows? It might be completely fine, but I do think that it affects, uh, it affects her story and her storyline. And I think also just a lot of the things that are in make her endearing to people. So. Which is unfortunate because the Inhumans movie just came out. So it would have been like, you would have already introduced the audience to Inhumans, the non comic reading community. So Mm -hmm kind of sucks in that sense where they didn't take advantage of that but you're right it could be just a budget problem yeah yeah but i mean they did wandavision i mean that shit was awesome (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's disney for god's sakes maybe they just don't want to invest or i don't know maybe they just don't want to take a chance or who knows so much more money in a a character of color maybe i don't know unfortunate i i'd say it's a bad move but we'll have to see Definitely. All right, guys, it's now time for On My Radar. And Kristen, (gasps) you have some On My Radar. I do. So this week, um, On My Radar is shocker. Like, and I'm not even saying that in a... Um, <laughs> a, what do you call it? I'm not being ironic or ironic. It's really a shocker that I am picking another DC book to be on my radar this week. Wow. And it is DC's Dark Knights of Steel. So, what is Dark Knights of Steel? It is a book that um, it's a a mini uh, series, limited series, one uh, twelve issues, and it's the story of um superman coming to earth but in a completely different uh story so if you are a fan of um books like um superman red sun this is super similar super similar in that it's retelling so if you haven't read superman red sun i highly recommend it but it is um I guess it's what they call an Elseworlds story uh-huh. where yeah. it doesn't happen within the like main canon of DC universe. It's kind of a, a like a what if kind of type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what Dark Knights of Steel is as well. And in Superman Red Sun, like I was going to say, if you haven't read it, that is the story of the the imagined story of what if Superman came to earth in the fashion that you know, but instead of landing in Smallville, Kansas, he landed in, um, in a communist Russia. Yes. So, 
Um, definitely check it out if you haven't read it. Um, it's a it's a it's a perennial favorite and iconic story. Um, and this is the story of what if Superman came to Earth, um, but not as a baby, came to Earth with his parents. And he was still inside his mother's belly and his father was alive and they all survived the trip here to Earth and they landed on Earth during medieval times. What? Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. I'm I'm here. Uh, And so one of the big uh, cheese things going around the Internet, if you don't want spoilers, this is uh, when we're recording this. It's already been out about five days. So if you haven't already seen spoilers, um, try to avoid them before reading it. Um, although we sold out like in the first day and a half, we had to order some more and hopefully we get them soon. But it is very um, popular right now. So um, you might be able to. I don't know. Image is not doing second printings right now because of the paper shortage. I don't know. I haven't heard anything from DC, but they might go to a second printing on this. But Batman is, I mean, who who has seen a DC book without Batman in it? Of course, Batman is in it. Of course. Um, but the story is super interesting. There is a huge Mother effing reveal at the end of issue one that you do not want to miss. And I seriously will make you gasp out loud. Oh, man. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to read it. Maybe we can discuss it um, after a couple more issues have come out. But it is written by Tom Taylor. It is so Tom Taylor. I like him. And his writing is just very, very um, engaging and very interesting the way that he's writing all of these characters. You see people who or you see characters that you're going to be familiar with. All of the Robins are in um, the story. Harley Quinn is in the story as what else? A jester. (laughs) Um, We see Black Canary um, as a banshee of all things in the story. Um, it's just super. And actually Cheesma has it that um, Tom Taylor's daughter, um, I believe actually gave him that idea of um, including black canary as a banshee in this um, story. So um, I can't recommend it enough. It is so good. Um, I believe that the artist is, I can't, remember her name off the top of my head but the art is just really really good um i opened it here and now i lost it i can't uh i can't remember so let me just look it up and i will let you know but yes it's a i it's a believe it's a woman um artist who um is uh the interior uh artist and it's just so so good and i believe that um there was some really cool variant covers that people were after. There's one of the variant covers, B cover actually of issue number one has Batman in a, um, in a like Knights of a round table coat of arms armor and uh, on a black steed who is rearing up on its hind legs and he has a sword. And it's just so cool. If you look it up, it's so awesome. Definitely 
check it out. Dark Knights of Steel, um, number one, and it is an ongoing uh, miniseries up to 12 issues. That is super cool. It sounds amazing. I mean, who doesn't like medieval times and knights and battles and like I know every time I say medieval times, it makes me want to go to right (laughs) and eat a turkey leg with my hands. Okay, Yasmin Putri is the is the artist. Who is it? I'm sorry, Yasmin Putri. Oh, nice, nice. Mm. All right, guys, it's now time for what is it? (gasps) Yeah. Oh my god, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is Es la hora de la cervecita. Yay. And this is so cute. I'm just um I'm just noticing. Okay, so this is a mango tahine ghost. And I pronounce it ghost, but here on the beer it says that you should pronounce it gosa. It actually shows you goza. Gosa. Goza. Uh-huh. G-O-E-S-U-H, goes, pronounced Goza. So anyway, Goza, mm-hmm. um, tah- Mango Tahin Goza from Owl Farm. And it has a cute picture of a mango um, pouring, shaking tahin on itself. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> so cute. Um, so a Goza, um, not ghost, as I've been saying, uh, is a beer that originated in Gosler, Germany, and it is usually brewed with a high percentage of wheat dominant flavors. Uh, and in the Goza includes a lemon-like sourness, coriander, and a strong saltiness. So that's what usually happens in a Goza. But here in this beer, they decided to change things up and they've used Mexican tahine instead of salt. And then they added mango juice. So I'm very, very intrigued. I'm very also scared because you know how I feel about sours. But we had one recently that wasn't so bad, I remember. Yeah, oh, yeah it got that Super Saiyan. It was the vampire daiquiri. That was a Ooh. sour? I believe so, yeah. Oh, I don't remember. <gasps> yeah, that one was really good. Oh, okay. that was so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so this has a 5.7 ABV, which is very interesting. Um, and it's something else that was interesting here says that this beer has been treated to reduce gluten. So re- reduction doesn't necessarily mean that there is none in it. But that was interesting to me that um, it says that it's specifically been treated to reduce gluten. So I don't know if people who need gluten-free beer would be safe drinking this, but it definitely gives you a website to go to. It says for more info, go to owlfarmbeer.com backslash gluten. So if you are gluten sensitive, um, definitely be worth it for you to check to see if this is a beer that's safe for you, which I never would have even thought about um, people who are uh, gluten intolerant not being able to drink beer. That's super sad. <laughs> Aww, that is goodness. super sad. <laughs> it's very light. It, is... it looks like like apple juice. Yeah. yeah. Or it looks like a like cider. cider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jinx. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it does smell like mango. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow face. yeah 
Yeah, it's pretty refreshing. Yes, I made a face. I made a face because it was the initial sourness, mm-hmm. but it is not overbearing of the flavor. Mm-hmm. I could totally taste the tahin. Me, me too. Yeah. I was going to say that. I totally it's like the, sal- it. the very like salty tahin flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really think that this is something that you could actually make a really good micheladas with. Oh, and you can mm-hmm. garnish this be- particular beer, I think, with like lemon, uh, pineapple, mango, uh, chamoy, tahin. Um, I the think, works, yeah, the works. You could definitely do that. <laughs> I mean, even if you're maybe a little adventurous, you could even throw some like shrimp in it, like some Ew. people do. You know how some people do that? I wouldn't call that shrimp. adventurous, I would call that gross. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, actually, I'm really impressed. I really am. So we, we've had uh, the uh, Tio Rodrigo's uh, kind of, kind of that mango habanero, I believe it was before. So it's a whole different kind of taste to it, and it was like really, I think it was when we were in the like episode fifties or sixties. Excuse me. You remember back then? Yes, because uh, my husband really liked that one. So I'm always in the lookout for Tio oh. Rodrigo's. So okay. Uh, so I think it was from SLO uh, Brewery, I I believe. I, oh, okay. Yeah, SLO Brewery, but it was called Tio Rodrigo's. And it was like a mangoes uh, with habanero or something inside it. And then another one was a michelada one. And then there was another. They had like three different tastes. But uh, yeah, so like I'm always on the lookout to see other breweries kind of tackle kind of the same concept and so i'm really impressed with this one it's totally different the tahin is definitely what drew me to the can yeah yeah so what do you guys think are you guys ready to uh i you know uh just to let you guys know when i poured it i poured it like you know i poured it for aesthetic reasons for like because i was recording a video uh but uh, it did not give me any head so Mm -hmm. that was really interesting it gave like, me a little bit of head. Mine that's is completely gone. Yeah. Mine, mm-hmm. mine is completely gone. And so um, that's interesting about this. So there's not like high carbonation, I think. But the taste overall was really impressive to me. I wasn't really expecting that at all. Are mm-hmm. you guys uh, ready to actually uh, sure. rate the beer? So yeah. uh, just as a reminder to our listeners, we rate our beers on a five-point scale where one is flaccid, Two out of five is initial. Three out of five is partial. A four out of five is full. And a five out of five is rigid. And if the beer just cannot sustain itself on our scale and has to be um, higher than what we have as a five, then that is a super saiyan. So uh, do you want to share what your rating is, Sarah? Oh, yes. Um I really like the color. I poured it in the glass. It's really nice. I like the fact that even though I was very not careful with actually pouring the beer, it didn't give me a lot of head. Um, I really am impressed with that tahin aftertaste and the flavor overall. Um, I like that I've had this type of beer before, but this is a whole new take on this type of beer and this concept with the with the with the flavors that they're choosing to use and the concept of like tahin and mango. Um, so I'm going to give it a full, I'm, I'm actually really impressed. Like this is the type of year that I think I would share with family. Like if I go to an outing or anything, I bring this like in a four pack and share it. I think it's really good. Cool. How about you, Jen? 
I really enjoyed it. And like, uh, I usually don't enjoy like sours or anything that closely resembles a sour. But this was really, really good. I liked how it smelled. I like how it tastes. I like the fact that I'm very much holding myself back from chugging it. Uh, <laughs> right? Because this is a, a very easily a very drinkable beer. It's really good. It's very refreshing. Um, and we've had the mango habanero beer. Mm-hmm. Or um, uh, maybe not as... Did we review that here? Yes, we did that. I be- You know when it was... We no, reviewed we the reviewed field. the water. Was melon, that melon when? Melon. No, yeah, but that was this when. Um, what's her name? Um, yeah, yeah, is the uh, Chavarria? Yeah, mm-hmm. Melinda Chavarria. Yes, uh-huh. we reviewed yes, all the Pio yes. Rodrigo. Sorry, brands. Melinda, that I referred to you as what's your what's your <laughs> name? <laughs> <laughs> all I could think of was magic glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Yeah. So, but we've had like like Sarah said, we've had a kind of similar t- uh, styles of beer. Uh, and I would even say like mango cart as well. Um, oh uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, um, but it's definitely once again mango does not disappoint. And if you don't like mangoes, <laughs> you're wrong. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. But it's really good. I'm gonna go with a full on this one. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the mango cart because we got those as a gift when we interviewed. Um, uh, uh, C. Y and C comics here on the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks, Yuri. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, two great guests that were on the show, and we shared amazing beer. But this is completely back in the day when we had guests in, in <laughs> studio in house and studio, and we could drink a beer. Yes. What do you think, Kristen? Uh, so I agree with both of you that the flavors that are on the front of the can are not um lacking you can totally taste the mango you can totally taste the tahine it is um very flavor forward when it comes to both of those um however i just don't like the sourness of it as much as what it is it's too much for me um and it is um it's not overpowering the flavors but it's just not for me. Um, So I am going to give it a partial. Um, I do think that people who, um, who like micheladas would be able to make a really good concoction Mm -hmm. with all those flavors that you said, all those things um, that you can put on it. I would have to put half the bottle of chamoy in it so that I could drink it. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) Um, so yes, yeah, so it's a three out of five for me. That has been our beer review. And now it's time for our book review. Jen, what are we reviewing today? So today we are reviewing a book that I kickstarted a while back. And we have reviewed um, a book by them before, or at I... least one of the creators. Okay. Uh, Lowriders in space. Yeah, I, I knew. So. I yes. knew Raul the Third was Lowriders in space, but mm-hmm. David Bowles. I don't know how. No, we haven't reviewed right. anything. Hey, but his by name him. sounds so familiar, and I was uh, like, it's fami- it was familiar to me because I'd actually read uh, the Smoking Mirror, which is a very very good novel. Oh, uh, so okay. he David Bowles is a, he's a Mexican American author, uh, and he's written uh, the Smoking Mirror, uh, Call Me Weddle, 
And he's been published in the New York Times, the School Library Journal, and like a bunch of other uh, like very prominent uh, high end either newspapers or journals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I saw this on Kickstarter, I was very, very excited. And the book that we are reviewing is called Clockwork Curandera. Uh, it's volume one, The Witch Owl Parliament. So this was created by David Bowles and Raul III, uh, colored by Stacey Robinson and lettered by Damien Duffy. And just to give you a little um, uh, synopsis that they have inside the book, uh, it says, discover a graphic novel unlike any other, a brilliant steampunk reimagining of Frankenstein set in colonial Mexico. Uh, in the Republic of Santa Verde, Non-Christian magic is frowned upon, if not outright prohibited. But when Cristina Franco, an apprentice shaman, is killed by witch owls, her brother Enrique cannot let her go. With forbidden alchemy and engineering, Enrique brings her back to life, part human, part machine. Though her very existence is an abomination to Santa citizens, Cristina vows to use her new abilities to protect her country from attack. With help from a handsome skinwalker named Mateo, Cristina and Enrique track down the Witch Owl Coven and uncover a sinister plot to bring Santader under the rule of the Witch Owl Parliament, whose legendary cruelty would dismantle the country's hard-won freedoms. At the same time, indigenous folks and immigrants are disappearing from Santader, including Enrique's beloved Gaspar. Could the attacks and the disappearances be related? As the witch owls attack more trains and more refugees go missing, the trio must uncover the witch owls' origins to understand their weakness. Energetic illustrations by Pura Belpre Award winner Raul III bring to life the words of award-winning author and poet David Bowles. So this is volume one. And I loved it. I loved (laughs) it a lot. Like, we like Raul has a very unique art style oh, it yeah. is it's immediately recognizable mm-hmm. he's best known for using uh or he's well known for using uh all ballpoint pen. pen yeah ballpoint yeah, yeah. Ball yeah. his uh art and the the cover of this it looks it, it looks like his other covers um um for low writers in space but it definitely is more uh detailed i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it definitely looks like he used other media besides ballpoint pens. It looks yeah. like he used a bit of online, a bit of ballpoint pen, a bit of markers and stuff like that, and definitely stuff for coloring. I'm not entirely sure, and maybe maybe it is all in ballpoint pen, but um, uh, it is nonetheless n- still like very, very, um, um, it's very noticeably his work, and it's uh-huh. very beautiful. Yes, I completely agree. I was just like, this looks familiar. And I didn't put two and two together, but I did while reading it. I was like, this is like really similar to uh, Low Riders to Space. A whole different kind of like look to it, but but very similar. Like, um, And just you saying that out loud. I mean, I didn't put two and two together. I just wanted to read through the story. Because once I started reading, of course, I just kept <laughs> on going. I mean, like I couldn't mm-hmm. stop. And I was like oh my god this is so good like uh, and we got it in virtual format for the kindle mm-hmm. it was just such a good story and i just i was like wow they did such an amazing job the world building behind the story was really amazing the flashbacks yeah. the characters the use of uh, dialogue and language i mean because they don't mm-hmm. only speak english um mm-hmm. they speak nawal nawal could you help me out with that nawal 
Yes, yeah. gracias. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, it's just really, really amazing. And the whole like uh, magic behind it and the alchemy behind it and even the science behind it was just really freaking amazing. Um, I like how like Enrique at some points they call him Kiki. Mm-hmm. And for and they kind of like uh or Kike, it it uh it really threw me mm-hmm. off for a minute and I'm like, wait a minute, read this in Spanish. I'm like, oh that's right, okay. It's como un diminutivo de Enrique es Kike or Kiki. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. Like, Kiki, Kiki means vagina in Tagalog. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I know Kike because uh my godfather that we would call him that. Um uh or like and for the longest time I called him that because I thought that was his name and I didn't realize that it was Enrique. That uh, happens a lot. Mi tía Chona, mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was Asuncion. I didn't know that there's this neighborhood dude that lived near my grandmother and her boyfriend, whose name is Raymond, Ramon, had a friend named Tokayo. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I thought his name was Tokayo. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, his name is, name is Ramon. Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> because... Because Tokayo is, uh, is a parrot? Uh, well, from what I know, Tokayo just means person who has the same name as I do. Right. But I thought that it, mm-hmm. that there was a reason behind it. I don't know. Anyway, yes. Same name as I do. But I thought that it was like had something to do with a parrot. But anyway, yes. So I had no idea. as a, Also, how I, I literally thought that the lady at the corner's first name was Doña. because my grandmother would be like i'm gonna go over to doña maria's i'm like okay like yeah yeah. (laughs) it wasn't until much later that i realized that there was just like a term of respect yes and so this book it's just chock full of latin identity and values and even then the honestly astonishing beautiful mix of like a very like a catholic religious setting Mm -hmm. but that's still like like not metals but you know like interacts with like uh curanderism shamanism Mm -hmm. as well as like you know the sciences and everything and how that's viewed but they still like have a relationship with the with the mother of this place who very much cares for them Mm -hmm. and even though like and is willing to break a lot of rules for them as well i just i just really love that it was it I, was a great story. I find that super, super similar to how Latinx culture is in real life. Yes. Uh, because my grandmother said her rosary every night before bed. She prayed. She went to church. She um, was very, very Catholic. But she also dabbled in and believed wholeheartedly in um, curanderas and in uh, actually dabbled in some Santeria when she was younger. So I'm very, very um, interested in that cross section of Latinx culture because it exists wholeheartedly. You could ask anybody in the neighborhood. for a recommendation for a curandera and I'm sure they would be able or a curandero to tell you uh, Mm -hmm. where to go. And that's what I loved about this book was that um, something so familiar to you, Kristen, as your grandmother dabbling in both the occult 
as quote unquote I'm being silly but yeah the occult and religious aspect of her life everyday life and I love how this book showed that to us and it wasn't uh it wasn't hard for us to accept that that world building because it's true to our actual upbringing Mm-hmm. Uh, which I I totally love. I mean, I mean, I don't. I can't tell you how many times I got the webble waved on around <laughs> on me. Like you know, I need I need a limpia. You know, uh-huh. uh, the the tree in the backyard that I have is a pirud, and they use that for limpias as well. And uh, I I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, "Hey, can you bring me some pirud because I, I'm going to do a limpia kind of thing?" You know, uh-huh. and it's completely normal. It's come. You know, it's not something that I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, you believe in that? No, no. It's just ingrained in how we grew up. And that's what I loved about the story. Every character has kind of like a really strong trait and personality with them. And I just really loved it. I I loved how the main character is Christina. And she is the one that the brother used um, engineering ancient spells alchemy to bring her back to life Mm -hmm. you know and uh, he was holding and even though he was using like mostly science and magic he still held on to like a spiritual aspect of herself and saying how like her heart spark so -hmm. that's something like i mean it just it's a whole different mixture of things that make this uh, character come to life and it makes perfect sense to me, which I love. I mean, it's not some, somewhere where I'm lost in the story. Even when they speak in Nawal, I'm not lost in the story, which I totally love. And I love how they mention other uh, aspects. Like, for instance, they were talking about like um, how uh, they were using Mesoamerican magic and Islam- Islamic alchemy at one point. Uh-huh. Um, it's just it's just. It sounds like it's all over the place, guys, because I don't think I'm I'm talking uh, the way I'm not explaining it as I should. But I don't want to because I, I feel that you guys need to pick up this book and read it yourself. <laughs> but um, there is just so many aspects and it's so full of content that um, and it all makes sense. Like the writing is superb. Like I, I can't even explain it. It's just so cool. Like I feel like. I know that Kristen, Jen, and, and myself were like, we were kind of brought into kind of this like magic, religious kind of, and uh, of course, now technology kind of life, but it makes complete sense in this story setting that takes place like a long time ago. And it's kind of like not real story, quote unquote, but it's really, really amazing. And talking about the lechuzas, you know how we talked about it previously, that lechuzas being like a bad omen and stuff mm-hmm. like that and how they use that um, as part of the story. And they're the bad guys and they're, you know, they're siding with parliament. It's just so cool. Like the whole thing is amazing. Yeah, it really, it really is. So the I think the original like description of it, that this is like a retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein uh-huh. is very I, accurate because yeah, it yeah. is, it's a retelling. It's not a word for word, like translation or adaptation. No, it is an interpretation of it because um, um you, of course you get the whole like, like blasphemy, heretical stuff that uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein did as well, but there's a lot more care to it. There is yes. like, what if they had been raised? Like, what if like, one, because for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, Victor's, I believe it was his uh, younger brother, 
if that was true mm. but he died in the war and his father like was like overbearing over him and he was just like you're like you're nothing compared to your brother and so it was just a case of like trying to prove himself and like also like suck his own dick um, um <laughs> like yeah i'm great i'm smart i'm like all these things whereas from uh enrique it comes more from a place of caring like i can't lose my sister and i don't mm-hmm. want to lose her like and him using his knowledge to like keep her and but still like heretical but not too heretical either because he did bring her back within that four day uh period that they were talking about mm-hmm. so that she still can like do her like has like all of her three souls or whatever Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. not or whatever because it was like it was really well uh explained in the book yeah but it's um um there's just there's so much lore happening and world building happening as well as with story but it doesn't feel overwhelming Mm -hmm. uh as uh sarah was saying it it feels well paced it feels like uh like it's introducing things with enough context that you can be like okay like we'll probably get back to that later but you have given me enough that i can know where this what's going on and where this is going mm-hmm. and it's just this is a great volume one and i'm uh to put into perspective clockwork curandera takes place in 1865 um uh, uh yeah like colonial mexico but even then, not really, because the way that this world is set up, it's split into different, like, if North America was split into different, like, nations. So mm-hmm. you have the Great League of California, you have the Dina Stewardship, you have the Alue Confederation, the Confederate States of America. Here's the great thing about these is that with just these names alone, you can intuit a lot of stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Confederate States of America, that can tell you a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Duchy of Texas which is all on its own, uh, the Republic of Santander, the Hakim Nation, the Kingdom of Mexico, the free people of Yanga, the Republic of Yucatan, and then you have like the Caribbean, that they all retain their names, and you have Canada slash Great Britain. So mm-hmm. Canada hasn't, like Canada is still Canada, but not really. Uh, and so it's uh, it's just from this map alone, you can tell like, oh, this is different. Right, like, right. There's, there's a, a lot that's going on. This is like an alternate universe slash Frankenstein sci-fi <laughs> fantasy. Uh, slash and historic. Very much, and very, <laughs> very Hispanic Latinx um, uh, story. But it's, it's really, really great. Like, it seems like a lot of things... Uh, at once but at its core this is a retelling of mary shelley's frankenstein like if you want to like do like bare bones of it that's what this is and it's done amazingly well it's done so well that i didn't even have uh that description because we read the we read the digital portion and i didn't have a, a copy uh to be able to read that synopsis and that's what i thought of the entire time uh, yes. was like oh this is like frankenstein and um, and so I definitely was super annoyed and frustrated when I came to the end of this book and it was <laughs> know, the right? end of the freaking book. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I was so into it. Yep. Oh my God. And then I'm like, oh my God. And I got to read more. Like, it's like, oh my God. What? Oh my God. That, like, uh, yes. Yeah. And, and that to me, it, we always say like for first issue, it wants you to uh, it should get you wanting to read more. Obviously, this isn't an issue. It's a whole graphic novel. But 
Um, I agree with both of you that it does such an amazing job of world building. And you know what it kind of reminded me of as far as world building is Monstrous. That first me too. Monstrous. Me too. Yeah. I was like thinking that same thing. Like, I mean, the world building is amazing. And then it still has time to tell you about how Mateo longs for Christina uh -huh, uh -huh. and that whole little like Reboso dance, their little re Reboso little storyline. And I was like, that's so cool. And then talking about Mateo and how um, they, they view like people viewed him like as Indians and like Mayans and not really like um, uh, taking them really like uh, seriously and stuff like they, there's, they, they're less than, I mean, there's all these little stories behind the big story. Like it's, uh -huh really amazing yeah. yeah so yes definitely want to read more and um i think that all of the accolades and praise that we gave to Raul the third in uh the low riders in space and whatever the second book was that uh, was also low riders but i don't remember what it was called um still stand here with his uh with regard to his art in this book it's just he's very very talented and in a very stylized fashion like you said sarah you could tell right away i recognize his name and so when i recognize his name i also was like oh yeah this totally familiar but it, it gives such a amazing um addition to the story that was written and in fact in the back matter david says that as soon as he introduced the idea of Clockwork Curandera to Raul that he got her immediately and all of his, if you, you see in the back some of his like sketches and stuff um, from the very beginning. Uh, and I always enjoy hearing stories where um, writers find their artists and can say like that, that, they, that they got each other so, so well. And uh, when there's a good artist connected to a project, it does nothing but just elevate the story um, tenfold so uh definitely loved it um on both sides the art and the writing i mean and i don't know if you even uh kind of, we kind of we kind of lightly touched in the intro about enrique uh his love interest is gaspar and how in part of the story they were saying like is our love unnatural mm -hmm. and it, it's like it was kind of like they were talking even in reference to like the science behind the alchemy behind the magic and it was just like it was just such an amazing story and um i just i mean i can keep talking about it even <laughs> i mean they have so many aspects of latinidad including how uh, mateo wrote a uh, corrido yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Christina <laughs> and I was like oh my god you've got me there like I only thought about Los Tigres del Norte when I was when I was reading the lyrics <laughs> mm -hmm. so I was like yes like this is so this is such a great story Jen so, for listeners um who might be very well intrigued and wanting to read it is there information on the book that you have of where they could go and order the book Yes, you can go to leeandlow.com. And I believe the book itself, um, um, you can purchase from also Raul's um, uh, website as well. But the publisher is Lee and Low. And then, like, uh, I got mine from Kickstarter, but I believe it is also available to order from the publisher's website as well, which is leeandlow.com, spelled L E E A N D L O w and dot com cool 
Awesome. Are we ready to rate it? Yeah. I'm going to give it the whole panaderia and a cup of champurrado. This was amazing. I loved it. This is Sarah. How about you guys? Before I rate it, I want to just, um, I've been meaning to to uh, remind listeners, and I keep forgetting, of our rating system. The way that I remind people about our beer rating system. I think I'm going to start doing that for our rating system, if this just happens to be your first time listening, um, we rate our and review our books on a three concha scale. Um, so uh, one concha, uh, it, I guess it, it's okay, but, you know, left something to be desired. Two conchas, um, definitely um, a lot of good things to say about it, but not a three concha book. A three concha book is like we loved it, but... We have so often found times where a book just rockets off the three concha scale. And in those times, we either add a cup of champurrado to it or something else yummy to it. And then if it is even higher than that, we give the book the whole panaderia. And I will agree with Sarah on this one as well. I give clockwork curandera the whole panaderia it was just so good and got me so hyped for reading more and i can't wait to um i'm gonna back the next kickstarters if those if that's how (laughs) they go so i can't wait to uh to to read more and there's two more planned i believe i believe it's it's just going to be a trilogy of graphic novels Mm -hmm. how about you jen so um, I'm giving it the three conchas, the entire panaderia, uh, taza de champurrado, like all the, the whole thing. I really did enjoy it. I liked it a lot. And I can't and I'm definitely keeping an eye on the Lee and Low books um, uh, website uh, for any future updates on this Kickstarter or whether they will actually just need a Kickstarter or need a Kickstarter or will just like launch it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, um but I, I really did enjoy the book and I'm really happy I backed it. Oh, absolutely. And just a reminder as well, we say three conchas. We could have said 10, but three conchas was the limit of conchas that Jen's mom allowed her to eat um, in one day. So yes. like, it's like maximum tres conchas. <laughs> so that has been our book review. All right, guys, now it's time for En La Libreria. Jen, take it away. So for In La Libreria today, I have um, a book that I accidentally exited out of. <laughs> Oops. Okay. All right. Well, as Jen, it. did you find it? I was going to say, yes, as Jen is looking for the book, I let's also just remind listeners that In La Libreria, In La Libreria, I can never say that. Right. In La Libraria <laughs> is our segment um, where Jen, who um, spends an inordinate, inordinate amount of time and money on Kickstarter, finds <laughs> amazing projects that she is interested in and hopes that you will be, too. Yes, it. I like this is I have backed so much on Kickstarter so often that they gave me the little like, hey, you are one of like our top people like backing <laughs> stuff so i have like a little badge on my profile that says top contributor that's awesome and i'm like well like what does this even mean bro but anyways uh what i have today to you is called a graphic journey of revolutionary rojava 
Their Blood Got Mixed, a new illustrated exploration of the Kurdish people's struggle, their revolution, and resistance to ISIS. Wow. So, uh, the story that the, the synopsis that they have here uh, is... Uh, their blood got mixed revolutionary Rojava and the war on ISIS is a 256-page full-color illustrated exploration of the Kurdish people's struggle, their revolutions and resistance to ISIS. Written and illustrated by Janet Biel, who edited and collaborated with social theorist Murray Bookchin, whose work influenced an ideological transformation of the Kurdish freedom movement away from Marxism and statism and towards grassroots democracy and ecology. The revolution in Rojava is brought to life in this graphic novel based on Janet's own interviews with the Kurdish people of northern Syria. Um, And then they give us a view of the book. uh, And it is, I believe, a group of women. uh, Wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, Or it might be just the style of the art itself. But uh, I know a bit about, like, the Kurdish people struggle and the, their, like, revolution and stuff like that. And it's, um, um, it was one of the things about the Syrian, uh, the Syrian crisis that happened a while back. Uh, so if you've ever been, like, a little bit confused or, like, you want to know more or you want to know about these uh, people's struggles, I think this is a great book to read. And it's, like, very well established and it gives you a mix of, like, it's based on stuff that has already like been published and right now they have actually already met their uh goal of five thousand dollars they are at seven thousand two hundred and sixteen with 130 backers and 19 days to go as of recording this this episode uh and it is being uh printed by pm press who is somebody that we have uh Uh, Or that at least personally I have backed before, but I believe we have reviewed some of their books as well. Yes, we have. Uh, You can, of course, pledge without a reward any amount that you want if you just want to support it. But at $10, like the base pledge starts at $10, you get the ebook of um, uh, Their Blood Got Mixed. At $28, you get the physical book and the ebook. And at $50, you get an intro to the Curtis Liberation Struggle. So you get a copy of the book as well as The Art of Freedom, A Brief History of the Kurdish Liberation Struggle by Havner Gunezer, A Vital Introduction to the Kurdish Struggle. Uh, as, and then, of course, as well as an ebook of both of the, both of the books that, you're, that you will be getting. And then from there, it jumps up to $75, which is you just get four books, and it keeps going up from there. But at $10, you can get the ebook itself, or at $28, you can get the physical book as well as the ebook. Uh, and it's very, it's a very interesting, uh, fascinating read, and I think uh, a lot of people would benefit from reading it. Absolutely. That's really amazing. Thanks, Jen. All right, guys, now it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, what do you have for Juntos y Fuertes today? So, uh, Juntos y Fuertes is our segment where we highlight projects um, that have been created by uh, people who belong to marginalized groups um, that we think deserve some uh, highlighting. So, this week, I am going to talk about a website. It's called Black Film Archive, and um, it's created by Maya Cade. 
Uh, and she has been developing a comprehensive register of more than 200 black films made between 1915 and 1979. And she's not only offering you this list. If you go to the website next to the name of the movie, mm-hmm. there is um, uh a link to where the movie is available to watch via streaming. Oh God, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, so sometimes some I have to them, search out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Some of them may be free, like on YouTube or any other, I don't know what other free streaming platforms there are, but um, just be a uh, note that they might be on platforms that if you're not already signed up may cost money like Hulu or Netflix. But um, that's a huge uh, time frame, 1915 to 1979. And uh, it was her response to a question that she had asked herself um, being, what does it mean to make black film history accessible? And she's quoted as saying, in a moment where black films are being deeply associated with trauma, I hope to use this resource to learn more about the black film's past. So you can go on there and scroll down and you can see all kinds of films spotlighted from 1971's Shaft starring Richard Roundtree to 1927's Siren of the Tropics starring Josephine Baker. So there, um, the 30s, 40s and 50s were decades that are often assumed to be devoid of black film. Mm-hmm. And one of the great joys of the site is that Uh, All the titles from those eras um, will be there for new audiences to discover. So super uh, interesting. And she actually uh, has been watching uh, a film a day uh, to try to just um, educate herself about uh, black films history. So um, I thought that was super cool. And I'm definitely going to check it out and um, I bet you there's lots of black and white <laughs> that I'm going to have to watch. But, watch um, I do definitely through. find um, it interesting and um, definitely am going to see uh, what movies catch my attention. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, I've been looking into a lot of Josephine Baker's history. Uh, she was an American uh, entertainer that had to go to Europe to be like really successful, particularly France. And how it was really hard for her to even come back to the States and uh, perform in a non-segregated audience. Yeah. uh, And it's unfortunate. Like, anyway, I would love to see her in films. I I haven't had the chance to. So this is an amazing website. I'm going to look into it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. All right, guys, now it's time for saludos. And saludos goes out today to the Monster Matador uh, team. Uh, They have a current Kickstarter going on right now. And as of today, it has 11 days left on their Kickstarter. It's a 64-page graphic novel. So saludos goes to Steven Prince, Fabio Alves, uh, Alex Safe, and Tony Donnelly. so I'm just really excited for your Kickstarter and hopefully uh, you can, uh, um, what is it, successfully kickstart it. Yep. Uh, but some of those goes out <laughs> to you guys. I know I think this is the very last of uh, the, I think the first storyline. And uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Monster Matador, we actually reviewed the first initial Monster Matador 
first three issues, but then they went and reinvented it again. And mm-hmm. I thought the second rendition was so amazing. Uh, so congratulations to you guys and saludos goes out to you guys. Um, uh, we actually reviewed uh, the new um, rendition of Monster Method and we were really, really, really impressed. So give them a look. It's at Kickstarter at Monster Matador Afripocalypse. 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 The Monster Matador team, saludos goes out to you guys. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, where can they find us, girls? You can find us at commodicycomics.com and um, you can follow the links to all of our social media from there on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and we haven't added uh, TikTok, TikTok, but Sarah has us all over the TikTok, so definitely <laughs> check that out as well. And as always, you can send us an email at commodicycomics at gmail.com. Excellent, guys. Uh, so that has been the end of this episode. We have been your host. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.